Hi, y'all. It's Julie Culley with History and Murders in Wichita Falls. Today's episode is about a man who killed his wife and then killed his boss. I mean, he killed one. Why not kill another, right? So, let's get started. Clarence Duncan arose at 4 a.m. on the morning of April 5th, 1935, in Trent, Taylor County, Texas, to begin his morning chores. He lit a lamp on the bedside table next to where his pregnant wife, Mary, was sleeping. He got dressed and he went out the barn to milk the cows. The Duncan's first child was due in less than a week and Mary was getting as much rest as she could. As he was milking the cows in the field behind the barn, he saw a flare above the barn and ran closer to see that his house was on fire. He ran into the house, risking his own life, trying to find his wife. He ran through every room and couldn't find her, so he ran to the home of a neighbor, Henry Ogletree, expecting his wife had run there for help. She wasn't there. In panic, the neighbors returned with him to his home where they managed to get into the burning home again. They found Mary's body between the bed and a wall and they carried her outside and away from the fire. But it was too late. Mary had been burned so severely. The coroner reported that he examined a partially cremated body. Mary Duncan and her unborn child were dead, and Clarence and Mary's family were left to mourn for their beloved Mary and try to move on from this tragic accident. But was it really an accident, or was Mary murdered? A few months later, on July 25th, 1935, Clarence was at Lake Sweetwater, spending the day swimming with his friends. Bad weather began to move in, and suddenly there was a clap of thunder. His friends made it to the shore before the storm got there, but Clarence was nowhere to be found. His friends called the police, and an all-out search was organized, presumably to recover his body because it was thought that he had drowned. The drowning incident reached newspapers all over the state of Texas, and it was reported that his body had not been recovered by late that afternoon. However, several hours later, Clarence was seen walking barefooted on the west shore of the lake. He didn't remember what happened to him. But after hearing the thunder and seeing the lightning, he somehow swam several hundred yards to the west side of the bank to get out of the water and find, find safety from the storm. About a year later, on June 29, 1936, Clarence Duncan married Billy Spivey. Clarence was the fifth husband of this 19-year-old girl. Billy had been working for G.H. Jones, a 58-year-old filling station operator in Trent. Jones had feelings for Billy and appeared to be jealous of Clarence and his marriage to Billy. He was constantly after Clarence to divorce Billy so that he 
could have her. But Clarence wouldn't hear of it. He was in love with Billy, and nothing and no one was going to stop him from being with her. On Wednesday, August 12, 1936, Constable O.S. Bishop found G.H. Jones' car, an older model coupe, beside the pavement at the White Flat School near Trent, Texas. The lights were still on, and Jones' hat and his false teeth were found lying on the ground about 20 feet in front of the car. An all-out search began for Jones. Authorities were sure something had happened to him because his false teeth were found by his car. A posse was formed the next morning, and the search began. The constable was convinced they would find a shallow grave where he had been buried. At the same time, authorities went to Stamford, Jones County, Texas, about 50 miles north of Trent, and arrested Clarence and Billy Duncan and Billy's brother Wilmer Allen on suspicion of the murder of G.H. Jones. All three suspects were brought to Taylor County for questioning. After three days of questioning and finally being allowed to see his wife, Clarence Duncan confessed and admitted that he killed G.H. Jones. He wrote out his confession and led the authorities to his body. Clarence said on Sunday, August the 29th, he and his brother went to G.H. Jones's house east of Trent. Jones had told Clarence's wife, Billy, he wanted to talk to Clarence. He told him he had written him a letter, but he was afraid Billy would intercept it and read it, so he didn't mail it. In the letter, Jones told Duncan his wife didn't love him, and she had told others that she loved Jones. He also told him that she had been married before and had never gotten a divorce, so her marriage to Duncan was bigamy. Jones told Duncan he wanted him to take Billy home to her folks and not live with her anymore. Jones wanted Duncan to bring Billy to the filling station so he could talk to her. Duncan told him if Billy wanted to talk to him, he would bring her there. And if she wanted to go back to her folks' place, he would take her there. But if she didn't want to go, he wasn't going to force her. Clarence went home, and after supper, he and Billy fought about him going to Old Man Jones's house. On Monday, Clarence took his wife to Stanford to see her folks, and they came back on Tuesday. Billy's brother Wilmer came home with them. Tuesday night after supper, Clarence, Billy, and Wilmer went driving around. They drove by Jones's filling station and then drove west towards Sweetwater. They were driving slow, just killing time, when G.H. Jones drove up beside them just past the White Flat School. He motioned at them to pull over. He passed their car and pulled over to the right side of the road and motioned to them again to pull over. Well, Duncan was a little afraid of what Jones might do, so he pulled over to the left side of the road so he could be a little distance from him. Jones then made a U-turn in the road and drove up to Duncan's car and stopped only two to three feet from his car. Jones got out of his car and came up to Duncan and he said, I thought you promised to take Billy home. Duncan told him he never promised to take her home. 
and after all, it wasn't any of his business what he and his wife did. Jones told him if he couldn't keep them from living together by law, he'd find a way to split them up anyway. Duncan was angry at Jones, and he stepped out of the car. The two men exchanged a few more words, and Duncan slugged him. G.H. Jones fell backwards and landed on the ground, flat on his back. Duncan found a large rock, and he hit Jones over the head with it while he was down on the ground. Billy and Wilmer were in the car this whole time that this was taking place, but he wanted the police to know that they had nothing to do with the assault. Duncan opened the rumble seat on his car and dragged Jones's body into the seat and closed it. He got back in his car and he took off, driving west. After he'd been driving for a few minutes, Wilmer asked him what he was going to do with Jones. Duncan told him he was going to go put him in the lake. He drove west, and when he got to where the highway turns north, he went straight west on the old highway. When he got to the Green Top Beer Joint, he told Wilmer to get out. He didn't want him to be involved in anything that was about to happen. Wilmer agreed and got out of the car at the beer joint, and Duncan and Billy drove on west to the lake. He added that during the drive to the lake, he heard Jones groan twice. Once they got inside the lake grounds, he stopped and picked up a bigger rock. He still had the rock that he had hit him with, with back at the school in his car. He said he didn't go by the clubhouse, but instead drove down the west side of the lake. He took Jones's body out of his car and he carried it down to the lake. Then he went back to his car and he got the big rock, the little rock that he had originally hit him with, and a water bag and a piece of rope. When Duncan got back to the water, Jones was still alive and groaning, gasping for air and trying to breathe. He hit him again with a small rock. G.H. Jones stopped breathing. He was dead. He put the big rock in the water sack and tied one end of the rope around Jones's neck and the other end around the sack. He took off his clothes and picked up Jones's body and waded out into the water. Once he got in the water, he took the knife he had used to cut the rope and he plunged it into Jones's body with a downward stroke. He thought if he stabbed Jones and let all the air out, his body would never rise. He waded as far as he could and then swam about six to eight feet farther, dragging Jones with him. Then he let him drop. He came back to the shore, got dressed, took his wet underwear, and wiped Jones's blood off the car. He put the bloody underwear on the floorboard under his feet, and he and his wife drove to Sweetwater. They drove to the movie theater to see what was showing and then went by a beer and hamburger stand and got a Coke and some aspirin. Then they headed back to Trent. On the way, they stopped off at the Green Top Beer Joint where they had left Wilmer, but he wasn't there. So Duncan bought a pack of chewing gum and they drove towards home. As they crossed the railroad tracks, they drove into a thicket just west of his house. They parked the car and walked to the house. 
Wilmer Allen was there waiting for them. Duncan told his wife and Wilmer to go to bed. He got a bucket of water and he drove down south a little ways and using his wet underwear, he washed the car. When he finished, he threw the dirty underwear into a bar ditch in some weeds and he drove home and went to bed. When officers had taken Duncan to the lake so he could show them where he had dumped Jones's body, they had a tense moment when they thought Clarence Duncan was going to try to escape. When they got there, Duncan stripped down naked and ran towards the water. He was saying he would show them where he had dropped off the body. Deputy R.E. Red Poole Duncan remembered that Duncan stopped. Deputy Red Poole remembered that Duncan was an expert swimmer and knew he could swim across the lake faster than they could catch him. With his hand on his holster, he ordered Duncan to stop. And Duncan came back and got dressed and Poole handcuffed him to his wrist so that he couldn't get away. A few minutes later, Jones's body was found. Clarence Duncan's trial and sentencing was held on October 16, 1936 in Sweetwater, Nolan County, Texas. He was sentenced to only 10 years in prison for the death of G.H. Jones. Duncan was elated when he heard the verdict, knowing that with good behavior, he probably only served two or three years in the penitentiary. Clarence Duncan had another trial to contend with. After arresting Duncan for the murder of G.H. Jones, the authorities took a closer look at the death and the house fire of his wife, Mary Jones. No relation to G.H. Jones, by the way. His current wife, Billy, was going to be the key witness for the state. She was also under indictment for bigamy. It was said she was still married when she married Duncan, so their marriage was not valid in the eye of the law. Duncan was taken to the Taylor County Jail from Sweetwater to await his next trial. As he was being transported to the jail, authorities found a crude knife on him made out of a spoon handle and a razor blade. It was the second weapon of this type that had been found on him since he had been in jail. The state decided to exhume the body of Duncan's first wife, Mary, and it was determined her skull had been crushed, something that could not have happened in the fire. The trial began the week of October 19, 1936. Duncan was not put on the stand to testify on his own behalf, but one of the witnesses who did testify was his former mother-in-law. Laura L. Jones. She spoke very highly of her former son-in-law, saying that they wanted Mary to marry Clarence because he was a good man and was steady in life. After a time, though, they separated and Mary moved back home. Clarence would come to Aura and Marcus Jones's home crying because he was so upset that Mary had left him. Later, Mary wrote him a letter saying she loved him and wanted to go back together with him. And as soon as he got the letter, he came right over to the Joneses' home and took Mary back. He never went out with any other woman while he 
and his wife were separated or even from the time they met in 1927, he was totally devoted to her. Or stated that she never saw Clarence mistreat Mary in any way. She said he was crazy about her. She told the court Mary would have frequent fainting spells and she must have fainted as she was getting out of bed and knocked the lit lamp over that was on the bedside table, causing an explosion. She was adamant that Clarence could never have killed her daughter. However, Clarence's current wife, Billy Duncan, testified against her husband, and she said that he had told her that he had assaulted his wife with a monkey wrench. While she was unconscious, he poured kerosene all around their house and set it on fire. He had told Billy the reason that he did it was because he was the beneficiary of her $1,000 life insurance policy, which had a double indemnity clause, which would pay $2,000 in the event that Mary died due to an accident. Now remember, this was in 1936, so that was a lot of money back then. A jury in the 42nd District Court of Taylor County returned a verdict of guilty of murder with malice in the death of Duncan's first wife, Mary, at 9.40 a.m. Saturday, October 21st, and sentenced him to 25 years in the penitentiary. He showed no emotion or reaction of any kind when the verdict was read. A short time later, Sheriff Burl Wheeler and Deputy Elmer Lowe loaded him into their car to transport him to Sweetwater to receive his formal sentencing in the G.H. Jones murder. While riding along, Duncan spoke up and said, Well, all right, I'm going down there, meaning Huntsville, and do the right thing and get out as quick as I can. I'll try to make them a good man. Wheeler asked if he killed his wife, and Duncan said, No, sir, I did not. I am innocent. Clarence Duncan was taken to Huntsville on October 31st to begin his 35-year sentence for the murders of Mary Jones and G.H. Jones. He was discharged on January 16, 1956, after serving 30 years. Well, that's it for this week, y'all. I'm going to do another murder story next week. I just haven't chosen the one I'm going to do yet. And I keep saying to please like my Facebook page, Julie Coley, Wichita Falls author, or facebook.com slash Julie Coley author. I'm going to be doing a podcast on October 29th about the haunted places in downtown Wichita Falls. So if you want to see some photos that guests have taken from some of the haunted places in downtown, I will be posting them on my Facebook page. So you sure will want to take a look at these pictures if you like ghost stories um, and, and haunted things. So that's it for this week. Thanks for joining in, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
I have written eight books about Wichita Falls and North Texas. I have four in a series called How Did They Die? Murdered in Northern Texas. One is from 1892 to 1926. One is 26 to 74. One is 54 to 2011. And then I have Murdered in the Line of Duty. So it's about officers around Texas who have been killed in the line of duty. I've also written four picture books. One is called Views of the Past, Downtown Wichita Falls. One is Views of the Past, Downtown Wichita Falls, Volume 2. One is Views of the Past, Wichita County, Texas. And the last one is called Way Back When, a picture book for kids. Y'all can get any of these books at Pickard's Universe at 10th and Indiana, Heritage Antique Mall at 15th and Lamar, and please shop locally if you live here, or you can order them on Amazon.com. Just type in my name and my books will pop up. Thank y'all.